Hello, and welcome back to Unspinning. We know we've been gone for a few months, but we're back with an even longer episode than we've done in the past. In this episode, Care, Chris, and I share about vampires, including a lesser-known bloodsucker from the Caribbean, queer representation, and capitalism? All that and more in just a bit. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Unspinning. I'm Brendan Alexi. And I'm Kara Alexi. And I'm Chris King. And we've made it. We've survived 2021 after a super tumultuous 2020 for a lot of us. Um, I, I I don't take it that you ever managed to get a peppermint pig, <laughs> Chris. I did not. I did not manage to get a peppermint pig. Although I did learn that apparently they sell them at... Um, What's it called? Like the world, what's that? Like the world market? World market? Yeah. I've never heard of that. It's like a bigger chain in cities, um, but I was, oh, okay. I was curious about it. I absolutely thought you were going to be like, it's like a bigger Amazon. Oh, no. <laughs> That's exactly what the world needs, a bigger no, Amazon. No, <laughs> it I don't think so. But yeah, no peppermint pig um, in 2020, but here's hope in 2021. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we're not here to talk about the rich pig mythology just yet. <laughs> um, today, actually, we're going to be talking about vampires. Something that we've actually, I, I think there was on our list of things to like eventually talk about from the very beginning that we wanted to do this, wasn't it? Yes, um, it was definitely on the list from the very beginning. But I also feel like vampires is in general kind of a common topic for most people vampires are very present in the media and the pop culture overall and has been for like a long ass time yeah i had a lot of um like going into this i was kind of like i don't need to do that much research like i know (laughs) what i'm talking about and i was i was very pleasantly surprised like i learned a lot of stuff but um, I would agree. It's you know they're a pretty as far as myth goes and folklore. Vampires are pretty prevalent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just gonna say I think that that's probably why it's taken us this long to talk about vampires. But also, we're still kind of talking about them. I think sooner than we intended. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I'll be honest, especially given like all of the things that we're gonna talk about today and how dense it is. I, I. I 100% believe that we'll end up coming back to this like at some point in time in our latest Oh, for sure. Uh, absolutely, episode. absolutely. There's so much. Because vampires, interestingly enough, like, uh, I at least I feel that vampire mythology is one, is the vampires as a character change 
I want to say so often that like the modern day vampire is kind of indistinguishable from Bram Stoker's Dracula in a lot of ways. Like they're very mm-hmm. different, distinct kind of imaginations of this thing. And it's possible that in like another 20 years, um, other th- things start happening or start becoming of the vampire as well. And then there's so many, um, so many different kinds of vampire that we don't um, get to talk about. So many different spaces that have their own kind of vampirism myth, like here in the Caribbean. Oh yeah, I think if, whether you're talking about like different variations, where in the world, if you're talking about pop culture, um, I mean, I'll just get it out of the way right now. I could absolutely do a whole episode on Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> yeah, which which in itself is kind of a feat, right? Like that's to tell you how much, like what a huge impact oh. <laughs> that, that like one representation of vampires has had on I don't know, us, like, people. Yeah. Literally, last night, my best friend and my partner and I, my my core and pod, were watching Eyes Wide Shut for the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. For, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and literally the entire time, every time Brad Pitt, or um, Tom Cruise was on the screen, we were like, where's Brad Pitt? Where's Brad Pitt? Because <laughs> that movie would have been infinitely better if it also That's had... kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah wow i just up with vampires anyway sorry to derail <laughs> no problem at all it's it's it, it, it's relevant it's relevant i think it's you know slightly tangential but relevant <laughs> and i'm sure that we're gonna like i mean it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a vampire episode or it wouldn't be an episode of unspinning if we don't talk about um representations of the myth and popular culture later on mm-hmm. um but for me i'm actually super interested in talking about the kinds of vampires, the kind of vampires that exist here in the Caribbean that we don't get a chance to talk about very often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when we imagine the vampire in mythology, we think of a handful of notable examples. Usually the gentleman Count Dracula is the one that comes to mind. Maybe it's Buffy's brooding on and off boyfriend. Uh, a small group of us uh, have probably perhaps seen The Lost Boys and a surprising number of Zoomers think first of Twilight's Edward Cullen, unfortunately. But as with most folklore, there's many more that we don't know. So many more creatures that we can't see in the dark. Here in Trinidad and Tobago and in other parts of the Caribbean, we have our very own vampire, almost unrecognizable from the one you likely know. The Sukuya doesn't appear as the youthful, seductive persons we know, but in fact as a reclusive old woman who sheds her own skin late at night. The thing she turns into isn't as stereotypical as a bat or anything either. In fact, it's a lot more conspicuous. A ball of flame flying into the homes of unsuspecting victims to suck their blood, leaving bruises on their skin. Most vampire myths have some relationship with the original French vampire, as far as as I can tell, at least. That's no less true in countries like Trinidad and Tobago and elsewhere in the Caribbean, where colonialism and slavery brought more than just bodies. It's believed that this French imagining of the vampire mixed with a perhaps even older African folk creature, eventually taking on the nature of a bloodsucker as well. The Sukuya not only looks much different to the vampire you know, but behaves a lot differently too. For starters, it only sucks from the soft parts of a victim's limbs and only when they're asleep. While it's also believed that the Sukuya can kill its prey by sucking too much blood, just like any other vampire, 
they can wear the skin of their finished meal if they want. And Sukuyan aren't just vampires, they're also witches. In fact, in some parts of the Caribbean, like Guyana and Jamaica, what we call the Sukuyan in Trinidad is called Old Hig, or Old Hag, basically. They're known apparently to conspire with other demons and cast their own magic. Some even say that to become a Sukuya at all requires a deal with a demon under a silk cotton tree. It goes without saying that this special breed of vampire doesn't really give a shit about crosses and stakes. What they have in common is that their true form can't be exposed to sunlight. If a Sukuya doesn't return to human skin by morning, it dies. The only way to stop her from putting her own skin on is to find it, and cover it in coarse salt. If you need to slow her down, make sure to put a heap of rice before her path. For some reason, she's compelled to count and gather every single grain individually. Maybe rice goes good with blood? The myth has only recently begun to open up to to include more than just quiet old ladies in their tales. But for the most part, this folk creature has remained just the same as decades ago, at least in Trinidad. Interestingly, as the aged populations of some Caribbean countries continue to grow, this is one of those myths that still gets talked about a lot, even from other young people. When I was in secondary school, certainly old enough to stop believing in monsters under the bed, a friend of mine told me he saw a sukiya himself. It had flown through his window late at night when everyone else was asleep. He was up later than he should have been on a school night, watching movies on cable that he should not have been watching. <laughs> and he saw a bright light race into his open bedroom window. Not knowing how to vanquish the ball of flame, he did what anyone else might. He picked up the nearest weapon, in his case a standing fan, and tennis served it right back out the window before slamming it shut and jumping into bed. So I guess that it, can be, it can't be said that folk tales are dead. At least down here in Trinidad and Tobago, they're still alive and out for blood. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um. I told you the story though, right, Kay? That there was a friend of mine who taught that who saw us. I really want to just be like, who is this friend that and have I met this friend? But um, I don't think you've met him. I don't think think you've met him. I feel I feel like I remember being told that. Yes, 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 yes. I would have told you when we were um when I was in DC. I think it's so hilarious. And it's firstly I think it's super interesting that people still have like such a not just a deep imagination in these stories, but that they're still very, very real for people and it's not just like when we think about folklore, when when people tell us about these stories, it's easy to dismiss them when they're just like folks in their like late forties, early fifties, mm-hmm. or beyond who maybe had too much too much to drink or had a bad dream because mm-hmm. they ate something bad late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact, like there's a lot, especially here in Trinidad and Tobago, there's so many of these stories that are like folks like me in my twenties and even younger. Um, who saw some creepy shit and mm-hmm. like have a distinct memory of it? And I remember when this kid told me this, like we were we were just having um, lunch in school, and he's and he tells the story like flatly, hmm. with like no sense of like humor, irony, not like this really happened and he's still very shaken up about it and he doesn't tell a lot of people because he knows people won't believe him but he's dead serious about this shit and we were like brother this cannot be real (laughs) it just can't it just can't and he's dead serious about it and he's not the only one like there are there are people 
um, my age and even younger, who have like very clear memories of their first experience with Asuklia. Well, there's my um, partner. He's from South Carolina, and he talks often about how afraid afraid he was of paint growing up, which is has similar variants, but is essentially like a witch who takes off her skin. Yeah, no, and this is another interesting thing too. So you remember when we were talking in the in our last episode about um, how Trinidad and Tobago has Hop and John in mm-hmm. common with Louisiana and New Orleans and stuff? Yeah. So we have the Sukuya in common as well. Oh, there. Yes. Okay. And um, I, I have like odd feelings about this because I'm not sure what, I can't remember what TV show it was, but one of those like you know, supernatural crime fighting TV shows that I'm obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Well, obsessed with watching. I don't think I'm actually obsessed with any of them, like, specifically. But the point is <laughs> mm-hmm. that there was a, quote, Sukuya, unquote, except it had, there was no bees or blood sucking. It just turned into, sorry, there was no fire blood sucking. It turned into bees. Like, it yeah, was swarm of bees. I was so mad. And I think that that was, I think, I think. It was grim. It was grim. Was it grim or was it the the one, because um, there is one that was set, if not in Louisiana, uh, I think that it was set in a... What, um, Sleepy Hollow? No, it, it was, the cast, it's like the only one I've seen where the cast was actually, like, people of color. Huh. It was something uh, on Netflix. It was also bad. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Because you bad. know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is unfortunate. You saw it because I was watching like the whole thing. Yeah, and I was like, what is this? This looks gross. And like you, the only way to vanquish it is you had to get uh, freaking... You had to... The puzzle to figure out how to vanquish the Sukuya was a Calypso. It was like a really poorly written Calypso. Hmm. And the Calypso leads you to get some Shadow Benny. But Shadow Benny is apparently contraband in their universe. We know... <laughs> we know Shadow Benny. I explained as- so much about American food. <laughs> that season is banned. Yikes. No, and it's not just that. It's that Shadow Benny is all too accessible for us down here in Trinidad and Tobago. So the idea that... And I think they had to buy like a gram of it for like five hundred US dollars or something. I was like, everything about this show is wrong. Everything about this is a mistake. Yeah. Um, I can't. But that also kind of testament to the fact of how, for lack of a better way of saying it, obscure, um, non-Western mm-hmm. uh, folklore creatures are to like fucking white people like the idea that the vampire isn't either dracula edward cullen to the average okay. american is unfathomable anything else that doesn't behave like that has to be like some something else some sort of weird thing that is just a a, a collection of bees <laughs> that need to be that need to be vanquished with like garden variety weeds yeah i do think that like somewhere down the line we could do like a whole like Mythbusters episode on like what specifically Grimm got wrong if not oh god that would be a podcast by itself you just like do a Grimm episodes one by one I <laughs> am going to like I I am absolutely going to preemptively 
excuse myself because I will spend most of that episode kissing. <laughs> you really liked Grim, though. I remember. No, by if by really liked Grim, you mean it was one of the things I played in the background while I like cooked and worked <laughs> until the end of the season. Then yes, I did. I but for the most it. part, sorry, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> I, I went into Grim with like a very open heart, um, and I did not leave satisfied. That's what I'll say. I yeah. don't know about anybody else. A care exposed me to one episode of Grim. And I rem- and I, I don't know if I said it out loud, but I do remember distinctly thinking, I am okay with doing literally anything else. Um, <laughs> you see, here's the problem with that, right? Is that, and this is this is absolutely off topic, so I think we should like rein ourselves in. But first, <laughs> I just want to throw a pinch of shade, right? Mm. Chardon, Benny, if you will. Um, <laughs> But Brendan is one of those fools who'll be like, oh, this looks like trash. And then three episodes later, oh my God, this is so good. Oh, how did I not that's, watch this before? Oh my that's God. Only, that's no. only happened for like a handful of shows. Oh, a handful, oh. you say? A handful. Seen. I'll, I'll remind you of that later. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So continuing about these like portrayals, these Caribbean portrayals of, of vampires that are not very, I, I mean, I don't know if the the lack of popularity of these versions of vampires is because these versions are not very westernized or simply that, you know, we prefer to celebrate what is already the westernized version of these things. Uh, well, I mean, I feel, Brendan, you go ahead. Oh, no, I guess uh, my my immediate thought is I'm not sure that, like, us here in the Caribbean and Latin America, that we're necessarily interested in celebrating other people's um, kind of traditional imaginations of these folklore creatures as much as uh, the Western world has presented these stories as the norm. Yeah, that does make more sense. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what I was going to say, too, is I feel like when I you know, part of like my hesitancy and even approaching vampire is it's sort sort of similar to like the werewolf episode. Like there's this version that is so locked into people's brains. Mm-hmm. That's so like inescapable. Um, and so I actually really appreciate this, like, um, I guess like dedication to making sure, you know, the Trinidadian version is, somewhat preserved in folklore and legend and doesn't kind of get um swept up with like that transylvania yeah no to be fair i think that uh i think that the just like i like every single aspect of folklore like has a purpose like they're trying to communicate something about the societies that they're in mm-hmm. i think the traditional folklore the traditional vampire and i totally understand how the traditional vampire might have gotten here in the caribbean and mixed with something else um is that um there are and i'm ashamed to be i'm ashamed to imagine that there aren't more stories like this there should totally be is and it's gonna sound crass trigger warning to anybody but I think that there should be some like slave plantation vampire stories. How have we not yet? How have I not yet read a story a about that? What's that? Interview with a vampire has that. 
<laughs> oh yes, 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 true. Yeah. Um, but no, but there needs to be more of that. Also, like absolutely written by a white woman. For sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, yes, <laughs> oh, also, just with regard to Interview with the Vampire, I have only seen the film and I just saw it for the first time in October, so a couple months ago. So this is like a new like 16-year-old passion that's happening in my heart. Yeah. I saw it like a long time ago and I remember very little about it to be honest. Yeah, I've read it. Also seen it. Also unimpressed. Oh my god, I went in cold having no idea anything about it and i'm obsessed with it i'm (laughs) no i mean like i think it's so over the top it's so 90s without being 90s brad pitt has like (laughs) a light tan suit at one point it's it's yeah yeah it is one of those it's true yeah i think i just remember interviewing the vampire something be like as something being on the tv that my mom was watching and we only we didn't have anything else to do when I was that young because we didn't have computers. So like I just sat in the living room and absorbed some of it, but I do remember anything that took place. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think my my lack of of being impressed is that by the time I actually got around to reading Interview with Vampire and then got around to watching the movies. I had already encountered so many like more exciting things in Fair. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I was also like younger. I think that if I maybe like you, Chris, had encountered that for the first time, I would be more excited about I was it. Also cold. Like literally, I was like, this is my best friend and I were like, let's do Halloween movies like all October. Right, right, right. We hadn't seen. So we went in totally cold, just like we think this is like a movie about vampires. And it was so much more. Yeah. Hmm. To be fair, though, I do think that the the sukuya is are significant. It's to me significantly more terrifying than the traditional vampire. I I think so too, but um, I'm kind of interested to hear your reasons for feeling like it is so different to the traditional. Yeah, why is it a reclusive like, old lady who can sh- literally shed her skin? And perhaps even put on somebody else's. And she also sucks blood. And she's a witch who sold her soul to a demon. There's a lot going on there that needs to be vanquished. And I don't know. Like, if I just encountered, like, I had no reference point for what this was. And I was in, like, some small, quiet town and (laughs) encountered this kind of creature for the very first time, I can tell you for a fact I would be the first to die. Here's I would know what's going to kill me and I'm going to die. I have no response for a lot of this. I feel like here's why I disagree with that. Because certainly that is an incredibly scary thing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when you think of classic vampire, which is like this very handsome or beautiful elegant person who can blend in with society who also might who will seduce you and suck your blood there's something about that sort of the the hiddenness of being within being able to like be in society and also take you out versus something like you know like an older woman living on the outskirts that to me feels more not that I expect that, but less <laughs> shocking. I mean, 
I guess like the little old lady being an evil monster trope isn't <laughs> as as present as like the seductive dangerous stranger is um but well, well here's what I will say is that and I mean I might absolutely be jumping the gun here but I I feel like it's it's appropriate to say <laughs> but that's that representation of the vampire is completely thanks to Bram Stoker right like there's Mm-hmm. prior to that um reimagining of the vampire and i will i'll call it a reimagining because i do think that it was you know when when stoker wrote dracula he added elements to it that had never been part of the original folk tales and the the further we go back these representations of the vampire um or the roots of the vampire are not seductive they are as gruesome or as terrifying as making a pact with a demon under a cotton tree right uh, they're they're basically and oh I, I should i should preface all of this by saying that none of the research i have done for this episode is my research <laughs> uh some some months ago i had the absolute privilege of working with jack if you are listening with you working with you jack um who is a teenager who is totally into cryptids and we worked briefly uh, well not briefly like we worked on it for a while on a paper he wrote a paper on vampires and um all of the inf- everything that I know that is not like common knowledge is probably because I learned it through working on this paper with Jack. <laughs> right. So like the the Strigoi and the Precolici, I think, are sort of the the foundations of the vampire, um, and they're Eastern European. I don't think they're French, but um, I'm not right. so familiar with the French vampire you're referring to specifically. But the I know that they're Eastern European, and I'm pretty sure that France does not count as Eastern European. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'll admit that I misspoke. I think traditional is not a word. When I, or rather, the popular I vampire, knew, perhaps the classic yeah. vampire as we know them. Yeah, but that's you know those 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 things. One version, I think it's the Strigoi, is seductive. But the Prikolici is like the Prikolici is a werewolf, basically, except the werewolf does suck blood. Yeah. Like it looks yeah, it looks like it looks like what we think werewolves look like, but they are bloodsuckers. And it's kind of like levels of how absolutely horrible of a human being you were. So you come back as a you know, you die and it's it, this is where the undead bit comes in, is that when you die, you come back as a as a strigoi. If you're just kind of a horrid person, and if you're so horrible that like even the devils and the demon are impressed with your like nastiness, super fucking stition, superstition. I think that's the that that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. I saw also a lot of like werewolf vampire hybrids in my research um Mm -hmm. i will say for me you know i i'm always circling around this question of like what's the fear there um and i think you can definitely see a lot of like fear of cannibalism etc but i think similar also to the werewolves there is this undertone of sexuality i think whenever you have an exchanging of fluids so to speak yeah undercurrent of sexuality and i think as you kind of see it morph out especially in like 
the 1500s, 1600s, and then later in the Gothic kind of revision of Carmilla and um, Dracula, etc. Like, that's when the sexuality really goes wild. Um, but I do think there is kind of like an undercurrent or base there of, yeah. of worry. Yeah. And also, I just want to apologize for my odd boost because I found the show on Netflix. <laughs> it's <laughs> called, That's why I just like yelled super fucking. <laughs> the show is called Superstition. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why I like stopped mid sentence because I was just like talking and like scrolling while looking for the name of this thing and then I saw it. Um, um but I I do just for like my two cents on this particular show, um, it was really disappointing because it wasn't great and it was also the only one I knew that had like a full cast of like African American or otherwise people of color. And that was super disappointing because so much of like the really rich folkloric history that we have here in the West and particularly I think in the Caribbean is from those roots. So, so like I finally was like, oh my God, it's like one of those TV shows that I like. And it's like only people who actually have melanin. And then. Can I get you one more, Matt? No, please. My blood pressure. The episode was written by that particular episode. Yusukiyo was written with someone with Trinidadian parentage, and they still got it as wrong as they did. How? <laughs> All you had to do was call your mother and ask a question, but no. Okay. Hey, Tanti, remind me the Sukuya Tegna boy. Like, that is all. What it is? What you mean? What you mean? How you? How? What? Why? I am so mad. I'm going to mute myself now and breathe deeply. Please continue. Having never seen this and having, like, essentially very little opinion on it, I will counterpoint by saying I think part of the beauty of mythology is watching it evolve. And I think that especially when we're talking about Dracula and some of those gothic versions that live in our our mind like that is white people taking a myth and making it theirs and so I would argue fuck white people taking our myths and making it theirs they've done enough okay Chris they've done enough (laughs) But but in that same vein I would also argue for creators taking myths and making them their own as well I would I would argue for the creative license to do that yeah no, okay. and i agree i mean uh, like like we were saying about bram stoker not too long ago right that's exactly what he did i mean when he decided that you know when he made dracula and he when he created that there was i don't think crosses or reflections were part of the myth that was something he added to essays that were written by i want to say i have a note on it here i think it's essays by emily gerard but other other um, people like they documented these kind of folkloric tales and and had them published, and that's kind of how the vampire became popularized. Um, well, not the vampire, but how those tales got into the hands of people like Stoker, right? And it's yeah. that reimagining that really gives us the vampire we have today. And I I agree. Like I don't want to take away the right of creators to reimagine and reinvent things, but in that like. I specifically yeah. would say that, like, creators of color, I would absolutely advocate for their right to, like, take back their own myths and recreate their own myths, like, especially from the hands of what white creators have done originally. Yeah, that's fair. Where I stand, because I, I don't agree or disagree with either one of you. I, I agree, in fact, with both of you, but I also believe 
that it's super important for communities of color to have their shit told right first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's actually I was I was trying to figure out like through the blood boiling in my brain. Um <laughs> I was trying to figure out exactly how to say that because it's not that it's not that I I think that people shouldn't have that license to create but I feel like if the first impression that the world, the first story that the world is going to know, and that's what this is, right? At the end of the day, the world is going to know this story first. It doesn't matter what we say here in our little dinky, you know, Banana Republic, Pisa Island. Um, it doesn't. That doesn't matter. If Hollywood or Netflix spits it out, that's what people are going to know first, and that was really upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, when I and I, I think about it very clearly in terms of. <laughs> hilariously enough twilight uh, when, no, no 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 and but hear me out when when edward cullen burst onto the scene in his glittery glory <laughs> why do you were, like this people were furious <laughs> yeah no you're right absolute, you're right how the absolute fuck could anybody look at that and call that a vampire right yeah despite the fact that they have literal centuries of of successful storytelling it's true. To, re- to resort to if you didn't like Twilight. If you didn't like Twilight, there are hundreds of things you could be reading, watching, listening to that satisfy your itch for what you think as a traditional vampire. Yeah. Mm. But when yeah. we tell the stories of indigenous cultures, of cultures of color, um, we could tell it any way we want. Despite the fact that this is going to be the very first time that some people see, hear, read about these cultures. Mm-hmm. And then it's their responsibility to figure out what to do with that, that transliteration of their culture after that. Do they continue selling people a woman made out of bees as a sukuya just to get through the door of a publishing house or a, mm-hmm. uh, or a, a writer's room? Or do they reinvent? Because essentially for audiences that have never been exposed to their culture, they have to reinvent what's already been invented, stories that they've been telling for decades already, um, just for other people to understand it or for other people to be like, yeah, that's cool, but... So, like, there is... And I... I, 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 I agree, but, like, I also feel like maybe there's a drop of hypocrisy in my agreement because as a writer... Um, and I, I can't, I have no idea if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. So like, if you're listening, sorry. Um, when I, my, my personal reimagining of the Sukuya, and I'm sure like multiple people's is no longer sort of that woman, uh, of old age, mm-hmm. right. That, that older person, like pulling off their skin. My version of the Sukuya has been for quite a while, um, um, somebody who, not necessarily young or old, but it can literally be, or she can literally be someone of sort of any age. And they are bloodsuckers, sure, but they're perhaps, you know, leaning more towards what we might consider succubi or like energy vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. And they, uh... And so they kind of absorb life force and maybe they do that through blood, maybe they do that through some other means. But then the layer that I added to that further is that the good Sukuya have the tendency perhaps to do this 
uh, only when they're very old, right? They like kind of make it through their lives until a certain point. And then at that point, it's just kind of survival. And then yeah. the bad Sukuya never end up being old because they do it consistently throughout their lives. And part of the way they beat um, this issue of looking exactly one way for like their entire lives, the way we know our classic vampire to look, is that when you absorb the light force of a certain person, you look more like that person physically so that your appearance changes over time as well. And that's kind of how they beat the system and they're able to literally reinvent themselves. And I, I do feel like as a Caribbean writer, if I, I can take that representation to the world, but what happens when other Caribbean people read that and have that same feeling of this is not the Sukunya, what the fuck here? Here's why I think that that is different. I, I mean, if I was reading it, if I was reading this story as you're describing it on a page, if I was seeing it on the screen, my thinking personally would be not that you're reinventing the Sukuya, but that you're giving context to the, the cues or the characteristics that we understand but cannot explain. Yeah? Um, I, think I think that's fair, but like... That's kind of why I say that there is a drop of hypocrisy. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with me deciding that this is what I want to do with the myth as a writer and as a creator, because I have the right to do what I want with my own fucking culture's folklore in my own fucking writing, right? Right. Um, right like, it'd be a totally different situation if I was like, guess what I'm going to write? Yeah, yeah, right. But at the same time, you know, you said, Brandon, that the person who wrote that particular episode has Trinidadian parentage, and I'm still pissed at that guy. Yeah, no, because they made the Sukuya bees. That's what I like. At least <laughs> that's the fundamental problem. You know, everything else about the I don't even okay with the Shadow Benny and the Bad Calypso. Ultimately, fucking bees, dog. In order for you, like, it would be... They had the would, rice, though, didn't they? They had the rice. They they did the rice thing, right? They didn't do the rice thing, no. Well, they just, shit. I think they just... I think they just... I think the shadow many didn't work, and they just fucking torched the bees. <laughs> so the solution was just just to torch the bees instead. But anyway, that's, I can't even remember the episode because they're so bad. What I, what I think is this. In order for you to, like, recontextualize a story, and that's also why I'm not, like... This will sound ridiculous. Why I'm also not upset at like shit like Edward from Twilight is that there are things that you need to get quote unquote right. Yeah, there's some things that you need to tell. There's some like building blocks of uh, uh, of a myth of a character that you still need to employ in order for you to remix. You can't remix a song if you're not playing the song. I can't. I can't okay, I can't write I can't write about a werewolf, but I describe to you a gnome. People will be confused <laughs> and not know what's happening next. Well, right. Yeah? Like when they release a movie and they're like based on the novel or whatever and it's nothing like it. It's like just say, just say it's a different story. Yeah, like it's Lucifer. Ken knows that I'm super mad at Lucifer. <laughs> this this nigga is Lucifer, maybe, written by this person who's writing this TV show. But they keep on saying it's based on Neil Gaiman's Lucifer. And like now that I'm sitting right. down on reading three comics, I'm like, did y'all have y'all met Neil Gaiman? <laughs> Has that been well, a right. conversation? And had like, it's okay to take inspiration from something, and if your finished product is completely different, you don't necessarily need to reference that. I mean, maybe put it in your like credits with like special yeah. notes or whatever. But you don't have to say it's based on it if it's 
not in fact like being based on something and taking inspiration from and letting your brain go with that those are different things yeah 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 i want to ask to to move on to the good because i was just about to be like all right y'all what's like next on our list of shit to talk about (laughs) we are we are once again getting out there like well here's the thing though i mean i do think we're all right we like we're writers and we're creatives too so like i love obviously like we're here to talk about folklore but we do kind of bring that perspective which i think is also valuable yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> we, got, we got a time constraint, bitches. <laughs> I am super interested in, because I still keep on, and it's lodged in my head, the story of this guy who's uh, from secondary school who genuinely, on his life, saw Sukuya. Right. And I am always super curious about, like, if any other pe- if people have had, like, their encounter. How, okay, have you ever seen a sukuya you think? have i seen a sukuya not that i know of <laughs> you're not sure i i to according to my grandmother i've definitely been bitten by a sukuya more than once more than once yeah and then she like she did jarame and it stopped so <laughs> she didn't like tell you anything about the salt or the rice or anything like that or to close your window and thing no, well, my windows is I my shit was oh, closed. Actually, but that's one of the terrifying things about sukuyas. The sukuyas could fit into a keyhole. Yeah, you don't need you don't closing your window not doing anything for you. All I need, all I need is for my louvers to have a little space at the bottom. That's another thing that makes them so more terrifying than regular vampires. No, because like, classic vampires continue to fog, dog. Yeah, but then there's this whole in the classic vampire myth. There's this whole they have to be invited into your home thing. Sukuya don't care. <laughs> you can lock up all your doors, close all your windows. You have private security, all kind of bacchanal. If them want inside, they are inside. Hmm. So you don't have to invite them in. No, you don't no. have to. You don't get to know if they're there until you like pull up your pants and you see a bruise on your thigh. Oh my god! <laughs> Assuming that you live to tell the tale at all. Yeah. So like that at that time when I was supposedly getting, I was supposedly bitten by or like. I, I don't, I don't know, whatever, by a sukuya. Bitten, yes, but I, I don't, I can't even remember if it was like multiple consecutive times or my grandmother just saw it. Because what I do remember is like the same thing, like this, like what looked like a bite on my thigh. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're alone in that house, horse. so <laughs> so either it's a one weird ass big spider that hide in, or, right, like that's kind of the attitude. Um, and I mean, I've definitely gotten spider bites since then that are, look very similar, but my grandmother was very concerned. I mean, I'm so, I'm sure that she did things, but I was little enough and also skeptical enough because I was a budding scientist to be like, Grandma, you crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that she like, I don't know, throw salt around the house and rice or something. And then she jarred it and then, you know, nothing, it didn't happen again. So I didn't pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Brennan might have to explain what it means when I say she jarred it. Uh, basically, like, what's the easiest way to explain that? It's just like, she got prayed over. <laughs> And yeah, it might have I involved, mean, it might have involved a, a a bush bath. Well, it, it might. I don't think. I don't think that there was a bush bath. I think that there was like. I always thought it was flour. It seemed like it was flour and something like baking soda. It was weird. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was. Like that's to tell you, 
like even today i can't remember what it was that she used but i can ask her certainly for the next episode <laughs> how she did this but to like to like cleanse my spirit <laughs> um but you have to do it you do it like in the evening when the sun is setting and then you um you wash it out and like she washed it she would wash her hands and stuff with whatever in it in in like a bucket or a container and this container was not to be used for anything other than that process of like jerry and people oh my god and yeah like if i tried to put juice in it she'd be like what are you doing <laughs> Um, that was designed purpose. Yeah, no, because well, it, ha- it had bad juju in the container horse. Like, how you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like we would shoot in this container. And then when the sun rose the next day, she would empty the container into like uh, as close as you could find to like running water in a river the next morning for it to be washed out. And I wow. think that the idea behind that was that like all uh, bodies of running water kind of represented the Ganges and the cleansing that that did did, did or does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, so I guess I was maybe bitten by one. That's my encounter. <laughs> Do you think that you've had a vampire encounter of any kind, Chris? Um, no, I was for sure very afraid of them as a child. Um, oh, okay. That was like up there in top fears, which I lived in like a straight up haunted house. So I don't know why vampires were what I was afraid of, but what? Yeah, I definitely. I, I want to ask about this, but that is definitely a. That's that's an episode. That's that's an episode. episode. I, grew yeah. episode. I grew up in a very old house in upstate New York and could hear footsteps above me all the time. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I was very, very afraid of vampires to the point where. Um, I was not a religious child. I mean, we went to church on like Christmas and Easter, but I was not a religious child and didn't really grow up in a very religious household. But I did ask my mom to buy me a cross to sleep with when I was like maybe eight or nine. Oh, wow. So How I don't know what, what it was. I, I probably saw something scary like around Halloween and that just got lodged in my brain. But there was I've, – I've never – you know what I think it is is I've never been – I'm I'm not a, a big toucher. I don't like to touch people I don't know. I'm, I've never been like a hugger or whatever. And I think there there's always been something very upsetting to me about the idea of someone getting as close to my neck as that. Yeah. That's yeah. So, that's yeah. But that's my, I mean, that's not like a real thing. That was just what I was afraid of as a kid. So what about you? <laughs> Who, me, thankfully, nah. Um, <laughs> thankfully, nah. But, 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 but. <laughs> as memory serves me, when I, as memory serves me, when I was younger, um, we had only recently moved from where we was living when I was in primary school um, to this, uh, to this, like, totally new home. Like, my mom um, finally had her own home. Um and in like the first, what was it? The first year that we were there, I remember keenly my aunt, my grandmother, like, like waking up very early in the morning, worriedly trying to like run around the house, trying to find salt. I'm like, it, this was like 6 a.m. I was getting ready for school or something. Oh, wow. I was like, all of this is no she's not cooking at 6 a.m that's not that's not happening is it um but i was like 
10. I had no reference point for what was happening, except that she was running around looking for salt. And then she lit, like, just, like, ran around the house, like, tossing salt around the house. Um, and uh, she was apparently very worried about my sister, because my sister had a bruise on, like, her arm or something. And instead of reasonably believing, I don't know, like, somebody hit her or something, she was like, oh, no. That's something else. We need to employ some some spiritual warfare tactics now. <laughs> and just like ran around the house like tossing salt. Um, and it's possible that that was like that she was uh, worried that my that my older sister had encountered a souvenir. But like I don't know, and uh, unfortunately I can't ask anybody about that. I even think my sister might remember that. Huh. Um, but. Um, I am kind of enticed by the idea that Sukunya, or at least that vampires, that some form of vampires are real. So, um, even more so because of recent recent entertainment news. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not funny, yeah? It's not funny. No, because there, is, there are, like, uh, for those who don't know, we're obviously talking about Army Hammer. Oh, I, 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 that was not obvious, Sue. <laughs> well, okay, apology. <laughs> the, the, only, um, the only thing, when I think of vampires and obvious, it's like, oh, Keanu Reeves is immortal. That's, that's... <laughs> Keanu Reeves, Reeves a kick out of it. I, so in our episode document, like, notes, I was like, let's talk about Army Hammer. Like, Do you mean Keanu Reeves? <laughs> 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 It's true. I was, I was, yeah. I was just oh, like, what, so what? Army, army ages like a person. This is, yeah. This is not who we <laughs> why, why would we joke about this? I did not know about, yeah. And the reason why it's not funny is that they're obviously themes of, uh, of a, like intimate partner violence and abuse somewhere wrapped up mm-hmm. into the story. And I don't know all the facts, nor do I think I want to, because the more I keep on reading, the, the more and more bizarre it gets. Well, I but, th- I think the Army Hammer case, which just to sort of summarize, is um, he's been accused of by several partners of, in addition to abuse and manipulation, um, the desire to drink his partner's blood. Um, And also there have been accusations that kind of go more into the cannibalism lane. But I do think that's kind of a good segue to the idea of vampires living among us, um, which there are numerous associations around the world of those who identify as vampires um, who desire to drink blood um, and who feel like that is something that is um, that that is something innate and inherent within them and not something that they have control over um yeah so just throw just throw you, that out there do you believe that that's like even if we don't believe that it's supernatural do you believe that these people are being sincere when they say that yes i do i do think that they're i i i absolutely think that they believe that that is <laughs> No, and I don't say that with respect, but I absolutely do believe that they believe that this is something out of their control. Um, so apparently clinical vampirism or Renfield syndrome is indeed an obsession with drinking blood. Oh, wow. 
you know, I mean, I think there's also, you can kind of go into um, being drawn towards what is taboo or forbidden or, um, you know, when I think about sort of like my own personal interest within mythology, I'm always very drawn to cannibalism stories because I just find it very interesting that humans are like so obsessed with this taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is sort of a very similar thing. And I also will just kind of give a shout out to the New Orleans Vampire Association, who I read a lot about this morning. Um, this is from their website, New Orleans. Um, from its founding has always been home to legends of non-human sentient beings living alongside and among humans. Um, and this is a group that, that meet together and, um, they self-identify as how do you say that lycanthrope lycanthrope? maybe yeah i've always said lycanthrope yeah um and you know practice ceremonial magic shamanism mysticism etc but they're also they do like monthly projects for feeding the homeless Oh, wow. No food, not blood food. Um, <laughs> and a lot of it looks like community service. And I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of these groups, what they are, are folks who feel different, mm-hmm. and united in that feeling of difference, and are able to find community within themselves. That's wild. When I when I think of New Orleans Vampire Association, I don't think about a nonprofit. <laughs> we also have uh, the other thing too that I you know, especially with regard to the Army Hammer conversation, is mm-hmm. they have a lot on their website about consent, and they do not take blood from yeah. non-consenting adults. So you know, wow. I appreciate the consciousness that they are bringing to their practice, and. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, for me, just kind of in general in life, I think do what you do as long as you're not, yeah, other people. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I might think it's weird as hell, but as long as you're not hurting yourself or someone else, yeah. and you know, you're certainly not crossing anybody's boundaries, then yeah, yeah. If it if it doesn't harm, do it up. So yeah, so that's um vampires walking among us do you, what do you guys think do you think that this is uh i mean i have first time i'm hearing about renfield syndrome so i can't discount that but i've always just kind of assumed that it was uh, i don't want to i don't want to try to like psychoanalyze a large group of people none of whom i've met but i can't help but think that there's just some trauma related to blood that leads people to imagine blood in those ways Sure. I mean, that might be, yeah, that might be true. But like, also, I think it's worth keeping in mind that the way, <laughs> the way we develop, like through our young years into puberty, and as teens and young adults going, you know, coming into adulthood, anywhere along that period, even something, even something that is not trauma, just like a message that we hear constantly, is something we might internalize. I mean, I grew up with that whole vamp thing, like the vampire thing happening. And I definitely had friends who were super into that in weird ways. And I, I find that further. What, how they were super into it in weird ways. Like the aesthetics or 
no like the aesthetic like they were they were like you know like i want to be a vampire like i want to you know kind of thing and i guess like because of how highly sexualized vampires were when i was growing up like buffy is a great example Mm -hmm. sexy vamps are the thing you know Mm -hmm. uh or were the thing i don't know i guess they still are the thing anyway so buffy the vampire slayer was a big deal when i was growing up and vampires were sexy as shit and if that was something that vamps did well hey i guess it's sexy right Mm-hmm. And even if uh, that wasn't necessarily that some, something that, that super turned me on, I can see how maybe just like a singular nudge, maybe one more hot vampire dude is all it would have taken or one more hot vampire chick, right? I definitely see the aesthetic thing, like for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, okay. it's very possible, I think, that, um, I mean, I had kind of a goth phase. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that with like one more sexy person, I I would have like gone full subculture. Like there's something embarrassing. Yeah. So, as I mentioned already, I watched Interview with a Vampire for the first time uh, around Halloween, and then for Halloween, obviously we didn't go out because of COVID, um, but we just had like a little like you know my pod here. Um, Mm. And I surprised my best friend and I with, um, like, glue-on teeth. Vampire teeth. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Like, a very dark eye and a very dark lip and, you know, all black. And I loved it. I had a great – I was really feeling myself. (laughs) There is something very – powerful about that like flash of danger yes yeah and i also think i mean like obviously like i've always been very into like dark clothing and things like that but i was feeling myself i have a lot of selfies from that night i want to and i know we have to end this segment uh in just a minute but i think my closing question considering that we've also done an episode on werewolves the 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 uh the kind of default pop culture question that i remember growing up was who would win vampires or werewolves mm. <laughs> what happened kid i just hate the question yeah Why i kind of feel question? like who cares <laughs> like, i mean it, it, not necessarily in terms of who wins in a fight to me but, like, which do you think is the more compelling character is the question I guess I'd ask. If you had to choose which one you would be, that's the question I'd ask. Oh, I would be a vampire, but you already know this. Right. Because of the undead thing, or why? Because of the undead thing? What do you mean? I don't understand. <laughs> you couldn't live forever? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't give a shit about living forever. That would suck. Um, no, you I think... Control. What's that, Han? You have control where werewolves don't. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think that I, you see, and this is starting to edge into kind of, I think, representations of, of these creatures in the modern day is that depending on which creator's iteration of vampires or werewolves you choose, they do have control, right? Fair enough. Um, and some vampires in, in turn right. don't. 
so I I think that it part part of the the dilemma of ans- the dilemma dilemma what the hell uh, part <laughs> of the dilemma of answering this question comes down to which which mythology which iteration which reimagination or simple imagination even is the the vampire or the the lycanthrope or the werewolf or whatever that you're referring to I think that I would probably um. I guess I feel more of an affinity to that again because I grew up with vampires being like the big thing, mm-hmm. right? They were much more popular than werewolves uh, in in like the media that 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 I consumed. Even though werewolves were were certainly present, because vampires were always presented in that kind of sleek, seductive, sophisticated way, and werewolves not so much, right? They were they were often presented more savage. Um, and what bloody like 14 year old with acne who's like super awkward and nerdy doesn't want to be sophisticated <laughs> right and that was me that was absolutely me and um I mean I don't think that people not everybody would agree my mom would be like you weren't like that and I'd be like mom as a fucking nerd um <laughs> but <laughs> in case you couldn't tell uh yeah I feel like that's that's what I gravitated towards when I was younger and probably i would still gravitate towards maybe because i'm i'm more familiar with it in in some ways and and therefore it's it's a more comfortable choice but also because like i can't imagine being that hairy i would just be uncomfortable (laughs) i would just be uncomfortable i would just be uncomfortable being so hairy um and i and i also think that if we were looking in terms of something that was based on attraction a vampire would be more attractive in all of those those like romantic and sexual ways as well because i'd feel super weird and bestiality-ish about like werewolves it's kind of creepy and gross kind of gross you guys yeah what about you chris um, so I think like what this debate really comes down to is kind of like calm, cool, controlled versus wild, mm-hmm. warm, animalistic, and like which of those you're going towards. Um, yeah. And I choose option C, which is which is forever. <laughs> okay. yes. In that case, in that case, if that's allowed, I'm going full Tsukuya <laughs> because then I get the best of both worlds. It's true. It's true. Um, what about you, Brendan? I don't know. I think my answer changes every so often. Like, um, I would, I would sincerely feel horrible having no control over my ability to like accidentally murder somebody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like werewolves don't sound pleasant. But every so often, you're like, how would it feel to have, for lack of a better sense, permission to be the worst version of yourself and just. Mm. <laughs> and just accept that as a as a as a, a part of your identity at least once a night. Um so sometimes I'm I sometimes I am like, yeah, I don't want to accidentally hurt anybody, but I do want to be able to hurt somebody and not have to think about it in the morning. Which sounds horrible, especially coming as a man. But if you're gonna uh, hurt someone, that's how you want it. Like yeah, I want to. I want to have the ability to, and know I have the ability to, but just not have any of the guilt afterwards. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I will say also, not always, but traditionally, vampires can't eat. They only have like their only 
thirst is for blood. Um, and that would be a real bummer for me. Yeah, that would be really unpleasant. I need my doubles. Yeah. Screw that horse. I would still eat. <laughs> Just for fun? What if everything tastes like what if everything tastes like shit? I thought you was gonna say what if everything tastes like melon john. Yes, no, what if everything which, tastes which like Which for me is the same what thing. Everything tastes like eggplant forever. It's just blood and eggplant. Well, then I guess I will just take a lot of time smelling food. Like <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's all. But I would rather spend the rest of my life smelling food than like constantly having to comb my entire body because my hair is shedding so much all over because I'm a wolf person. <laughs> I'd find that normal, man. Yeah. That's um, because you are already a hairy man. <laughs> Probably. You don't care. I care. <laughs> and with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk more about vampires. Stay tuned. We're back with lesbian vampires. <laughs> my favorite thing. <laughs> All right. Um, So I have always been a fan of folklore and mythology and oral stories, but um, I mentioned this a few episodes back. It wasn't really until college that I realized folklore was something that could transcend from storytelling or, you know, my dad telling me stories in our backyard to a studied practice of research and discussion. Um, So I think I talked about this in the werewolf episode, but in undergrad, I took a class called Monsters in French Literature, which really opened my eyes to the exciting scholarship and discussion that was happening around folklore. And I was thrilled to find um, just a bunch of material to read and research further. Um, When we finalized vampires as a discussion topic for this episode, I immediately was like, lady vamps. Um... Because I think of Carmela as my personal gateway drug between just like what were the casual interests to of like (laughs) a concentrated study. Um, So let's talk first about some notable female vampires um, and also how that transitioned into lesbian vampires. So in that class, one of the first texts that we examined was Carmela, and I had this, like, just beautiful copy. It was so lovely. Um, I actually tried to look for it this morning and couldn't find it because my house is a mess. But um, this is direct from Wikipedia. Carmela is an 1872 Gothic novella by Irish author Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Um, and it's one of the earliest known works of vampire fiction predating Dracula by 26 years. Um, the story is narrated by a young woman who is preyed upon by a female vampire named Carmilla, later revealed to be Mercala, Countess Karnstein. Um, and the character is a prototype of the lesbian vampire expressing romantic desires towards the protagonist. Um, of course, the novella notably never acknowledges homosexuality, um, like directly, it does kind of leave it relatively subtle. Well, Wikipedia says it leaves it subtle. It's not that subtle, to be honest. Um, but the story is often anthologized and has been adapted many times in film and other media. So I am going to keep talking about Carmilla. But before I do that, I want to talk about some other notable lady vamps. Um, mostly just because there's so much more than just Dracula. 
Um, and that's because the sexy lesbian lady vamp is obviously the stronger and like longer <laughs> vampire drug. Yeah, for sure. And also, I will say, just like personally, as a bisexual woman, lady vampires were hot. Very formative for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's Countess Elizabeth um, Bethori. I'm not, I'm sure I'm not saying that correctly. She was a Hungarian noblewoman in the mid-1500s to early 1600s who was infamous as one of the most prolific female murderers in history. Um, you may have heard of her. She is... The one and only woman who was accused of torturing and killing hundreds of young girls and women between 1590 and 1610. Um, And the highest number of victims cited during her trial was 650. Jesus. Yeah. So the stories of her sadistic serial murders um, are verified by testimony of more than 300 witnesses and survivors, as well as physical evidence and the presence of horribly mutilated, dead, dying, and imprisoned girls found at the time of her arrest. Um, Obviously, with something this evil and prolific as it was, and also in the time that it was, stories abounded, um, many of which were central around her vampiric tendencies, such as the, the rumor that she bathed in the blood of virgins to retain her youth, um, as well as sometimes drinking their blood. Um, and her story quickly became part of national folklore and her infamy persists to this day. And some insist that she is like a direct inspiration to Bram Stoker's Dracula, though there's no evidence to really support that. Um, so just wanted to mention Elizabeth. Um, there's also much more contemporary Tracy Wigington, who um, was a lady murderer uh, in Australia, who was known as the lesbian vampire killer. In 1989, she allegedly killed and drank the blood of animals. Or I'm sorry, previous to this, she allegedly killed and drank the blood of animals um, and had been planning for some time to escalate to murdering a man so that she could feed on him. So in 1989, she was out. She was 24 at the time, and she was out drinking with four other women. And they drove back uh, towards her house in search of a victim. Um, They eventually chose someone, Edward Baldock, who was 47 at the time. He was a council worker and father of four. He was waiting for a taxi after drinking heavily and playing darts with friends, which, just a note, Wikipedia, that sentence is a little victim-blamey. One of the girls acting as a prostitute persuaded him into their car, and they drove him to a park on the banks of the Brisbane Brisbane River. There, he undressed while Wigginton returned to the car, to retrieve a knife, she stabbed him 27 times um, and then drank his blood. Uh, police were pretty quickly able to figure out who had done this, in part because Wigington left her bank card uh, in one of his shoes. Um, and the four women were quickly arrested. A few days after the murder, Wigington told police that she felt nothing while stabbing Baldock. Um and that she sat down to smoke a cigarette while she watched him die. So that's a contemporary version. And then just one more thing to talk about in terms of lady vampires. Um, The island of Lesbos, from which the word lesbian comes from, has some local traditions about the nature of Greek vampires. 
um, who, similar to what we talked about earlier, were thought to have long canine teeth, much like wolves. So kind of a different version of vampires. And while there aren't direct examples of lady vampires at the time, um, archaeological excavations on Lesbos have uncovered two vampire burials in early cemeteries. Both were middle-aged men who were buried in special crypts within 20 with uh, 20 centimeter spikes through their neck groin and ankles um so that's a little bit about sort of no prejudice there (laughs) i mean if you're gonna get the job done i guess that's how you go big or go home right um so in reading and learning more about Carmilla, uh, through my research for this episode, I learned a lot about the lesbian trope in vampire fiction, which I was previously relatively unfamiliar with um, outside of my own personal experience. Um, So from Wikipedia, lesbian vampirism is a trope in 20th century exploitation film and literature. It was a way to hint at or titillate the taboo idea of lesbianism in a fantasy context outside of the heavily centered realm of social realism. So obviously that's also a theme in some of the above examples that I just talked about. Um, I did read a lot about sort of queer representation specifically in the horror genre. Um, James Jenkins, who's a publisher, noted that the traditional explanation for the gay horror connection um, in films and literature is that it was it was impossible for writers at the time to, and at the time meaning kind of, gothic Victorian era um, to write openly about gay themes. Um, So they subliminated them and expressed them in more acceptable forms using the medium of horror fiction. Um, And according to scholar Horace Tam, uh, Victorian writers used the vampire as a medium to reflect the social landscape to criticize issues pervading Victorian society. Um, He continues to say, with the established hierarchy unfavorable to women, the vampire invasion gives birth to their awakening in different aspects, such as um, sexual and intellectual awareness. Hence, the fights with vampires represent the Victorian struggle in various respects, such as um, new ideas, old customs, new social class and the existing hierarchy, liberation, conservatism, um, sexuality. So to sum it up, Victorian society experienced a series of social and cultural reformations questioning the position of the established social structure. So um, I talked a little bit about this earlier, but often on this show we ask, what is the fear that drives the story, this myth? Um, And while there's, I think, a lot of elements about a vampire that makes them scary, and you sort of see that in the branching off, Um, women in roles of power, um, as well as queer love are certainly the beating heart of much of vampiric fear from the middle ages through contemporary times. I feel like that's such a, a great and strong sign of the influence of patriarchy. Yeah, for sure. What's that, hon? What do you mean exactly? Uh, women in a position of power as the fair. What's really scary to a man? I mean, come <laughs> on. Well, I, you know, I mean, as we were talking about with the conversation of like werewolves versus vampire, if you do think of it as this kind of like wild, wild animal side versus calm control power, yeah. 
Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're placing a woman in that space and especially, you know, Victorian era, you're placing a woman in that space to be a companion or a friend of some young, innocent girl. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of subtext there about the fear of like women having power and how they'll use it to, I was going to yeah. say, corrupt, um, which I guess is, is ultimately what the fear is. Um, how they use it to corrupt other young, like, like innocents, basically. Yeah. Innocence yeah. Young women. Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting when you, you mentioned that, uh, that <laughs> queer, uh, lesbian vamps were, lady vamps were such a formative part of your, experience yes ma'am and i i know like i it's like this is i don't know anti-resonated with me not because i think that i mean obviously i'm very into (laughs) lady vamps but (laughs) uh (laughs) but i remember like i mentioned you know growing up i the I think because it was so it was so strongly expected that I would be attracted to like the hot male vamps, mm-hmm. despite being very okay with having any kind of sexual or intimate interaction with like sexy ladies. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that like that that was something formative for me. For well, me, I think. The, I like, think a like power thing there where there's yeah yeah like, oh, absolutely women are in this like position of. I mean, we just talked about obviously power, but like in terms of like interpersonal relationships, there's like someone in that relationship who very much is in control. Yes. And I think that was for me very titillating to like have that early representation of like, no, it's not the man who decides in this relationship. Right. And and I absolutely think that, and so there's this like, and I'm sure Chris, you're familiar with this, this like bi stereotype that um, bi women want, like, they want really strong women to like Mm -hmm. step on them, but they Mm -hmm. like, like soft lady boys. (laughs) (laughs) Are you familiar with that stereotype? Totally. Which, by the way, very much stereotype. But, same yeah. same like I will see and and for me I think I identify this through comic books um is how I was like wow no I like girls yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> it was it was comic book like uh super heroines I suppose it would have been at the time well that's actually um, what it is for me too especially with lady vamps is that it's that extremely yeah. feminine power too it's that not shying away from being fully feminine mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I don't think I saw a lot of representation or a lot yeah. of examples of outside of that. Yeah. 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 Yep. And like retrospectively, I think that definitely that was all part of kind of my awakening of, gee, I enjoy all of the things. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 right? Yeah. But it was interesting. Like when you said that it had never even occurred to me that that was like part of my, like my formativeness you know I don't know if it occurred to me either until doing this research I I mean I don't I I'm sure I could have like puzzled it out but in like writing all of this down today I was like okay okay sexuality is a spectrum got it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Definitely, that was definitely me, like, having comic book discussions about, like, Remy LeBeau and Rogue. (laughs) But I do think, um, you know, especially if you're thinking about 
queer representation in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. horror as a genre. And I think this far transcends just vampires. Um, but using supernatural or otherworldly characters, like already queerness is other yeah. in Victorian times. Um, and using that as a as a model or as a way to express that in a sub, like, you know, kind of secret way, I think is really interesting to look at. Yeah, but I feel like it there's there's kind of a sadness to it for me because it's led to the issues that we see in sort of modern day representations of queer relationships where mm. the overwhelming majority the queer relationship is punished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's it's it's both real it's 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 a reflection of what's happening with us societally today right and the fact that it's it's changing very slowly similarly it's just kind of a a representation of how we are slowly beginning to accept that this is real and okay and like a perfectly natural thing but this this as you've described here this kind of root of it being described in creatively through horror in particular that's kind of heartbreaking honestly yeah well, so how I'm curious, did have either of you do you, did either of you know much about um like women like female vampires before this and specifically like the lesbian trope? Totally obsessed with Carmilla like when I discovered she existed. Yeah. Uh, I must say I must say no. Okay. Sadly. Um Well, we know who's the non-bisexual woman in this group, <laughs> right? Like No, I'm, no I'm, I, I, I look, I'll be honest. I've been honestly, uh, I won't say trying to stay silent, but like, I mean, firstly, I enjoy both of you all gushing about this. Uh, <laughs> that's super fun to listen Women to. chokers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm enjoying just kind of sitting back and listening to this conversation, but I'm also like keenly aware. And I think I've, because I was a weird kid, I've always kind of been keenly aware. And I think that's why I never really got into um, media like with that trope in mind is that mm-hmm. uh, those stories on uh, uh, this, uh, this is just my interpretation. I could be totally wrong. Um, but when we create stories with any sort of lesbian trope, much less the lesbian vampire trope, um, unfortunately, those stories are very seldom told for LGBTQIA plus people. Mm-hmm. They're told for me. And I think that's fucking creepy. I didn't ask for that. So I've just never gotten into that stuff because I always thought that it was kind of weird that they're trying to sell me. Well, yes and no, though. I mean, people who are not interested in me. <laughs> a lot of scholarship around Stoker being gay. and What? Mm-hmm. And expressing a lot of um, things he couldn't express otherwise as a gay man in Dracula. That's totally not how I read Dracula at all. I thought that that was the writings of a prude who was trying to use oh. who was trying to use the vampire myth as a way to weaponize um, sex, uh, weaponize against sexual, sexual revolution. Hmm. I can see it, but I don't know. I don't know if maybe this might be. I mean, certainly, I'm 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 not deeply familiar with the scholarship on um, Stoker's 
sexual orientation or like preference. I know of it, but I definitely can't say I've like dug into it. Ah, this is news to me. Thanks so much, Chris. Oh. I didn't know anybody was questioning Brown Stokers. All right, well, here's some Wikipedia scholarship. Uh, <laughs> Stoker was a deeply private man, but his almost sexless marriage, intense adoration of Walt Whitman, Henry Irving, and Hall Kane, and shared interest with Oscar Wilde, as well as the homoerotic aspects of Dracula, have led to scholarly speculation that he was a repressed homosexual. Wow. Yeah. So basically, like, the, the same things that I think you I, are identifying as that, like, weaponization um, are basically the same things that kind of seem to indicate repressed homosexuality. I mean, they, they uh, unfortunately very often go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's the repression, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the repression of it that creates that kind of... And and, yeah. and many people like like a self hatred, right? It's like yeah, kind of homoerotic mm-hmm. hostility. Yeah, exactly. And I think also it depends a lot on the context you're reading it in, how you know where you are in your life, how it's being taught, how it's being discussed, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very hard to divorce what you're bringing to the text from the text and I think that that's part of why like I think that's part of what makes literature so wonderful and and art in general so wonderful is depending on where you are in your life you can see and make like threads and connections with art like you just can't divorce that from yourself which is why when you come back to a book when you're 16 versus 25 versus 40 it's it can be a very different book yeah 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 that's fair but uh, to kind of get back to uh, like what I was kind of, I guess, trying to communicate before. Like, not, and it's also something that's kind of annoyed me about vampires in general, if I'm honest. Because, like, I, I don't get me wrong, I think vampires are cool, but I, and I think it's the reason why I gravitate towards Sukuya so much more now is that I always thought the the kind of, for lack of a better way of saying it, aggressive sexuality of vampires, and I need to qualify that in a bit. But I always thought that that was kind of fucking weird. Yeah, no, they are horny as hell. Yeah, Yeah. but they're also like, I don't know. I don't know if this is where you're going with it, hon, but I think that it's more than just that they're horny as hell. They're also super rapey. But like that, to me, to me, (laughs) that's right. Right. right, But it's, you know, if you're going to be violating someone and it comes back, I think, Chris, you mentioned before this whole like exchange of fluids thing that that all of these iterations have. Right. Right. If you're if you're going to invade someone's space to that point, then it's 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 a non and it's not consensual, then it's rape. And at that point, the sexual part of it is just you know, yeah, no, for the violation, it's not like it. You know, and I think that's also that's also part of how it's been so easily. Um, it is so easily sexualized is because of that exchange. Yeah, and I think that that's always been what kind of creeped me out. And thanks so much, Kay, because I feel like I'm finally getting words for it. Is that <laughs> it always felt? Fuck it, just like to me, it just the only words I had for it was that it's fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. But what it ultimately is is that. Uh, somebody, somebody's were writing these deeply elaborate supernatural rape fantasies for me. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, people, and, right, right, and, right. 
I do not need that in right. my life, not at all. And the fact that the that there's this character, this this deep mythology that's kind of expanded into the sexual, because I do believe that it has. It's kind of expanded. It's it's more so sexual than anything else now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I think is deeply uncomfortable because fundamentally the narrative is uh, here's a, a trigger warning again here's a really cool attractive fun energetic way to be raped right and I so... don't know how I feel about that and I also don't know how to feel about the, the idea that that is happening with and around um, characters that are women who are not interested in me. So like the idea of lesbian, the idea of the kind of lesbian vampire trope is, why are you trying to sell me the allure of two people who want nothing to do with me sexually, romantically, or probably otherwise? (laughs) Why should I? You know, I mean, I think in a lot of like, especially Carmilla, like the whole thing is that she's like, doesn't know how to respond to it and is waiting to be saved. Mm Mm-hmm. So there is that sort of like opportunity for male readers or the male gaze within the narrative to like step rescue her. Rescue her, yeah. So here's here's something. Um, so something that uh, here's something. So yes, here <laughs> this is full sentences, please. So so here's something that what Brendan said uh, kind of like triggered or reminded me. Right, is that at the end of the day. And I mean, we're all activists, at least the three of us. I don't know if those of you listening are, but you should be if you're not. Um, (laughs) Find a cause, people, stand up for it. Um, Is that, you know, they say that like rape is never actually about sex. Rape is about power. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that's what all of this comes down to in the same way that, you know, Chris is saying, what's the fear? And it's about women being in this position of ultimate power in all of those fantasies that you've described, like these basically supernatural, elaborate, like weird (laughs) rape fantasies. That's what it is ultimately about its power. So I actually feel like that's a great segue for us to talk about um, vampires as they represent capitalism. Mm -hmm. Because that's how that's that's kind of the the hierarchy of things right is that individual who has power over um people who are less less powerful people who do not have supernatural strength or who do not have the ability to resist like so many vampires have the power of hypnosis um or otherwise the power of making you enthralled in some way right they create blood slaves depending on the books that you or the the version of a vampire that you that you read that they create um just ghouls they create you know and ultimately all of those things all of those people are representing some group or yeah like just some group of humanity or humanity in general that are under the the thrall of this one usually one uh, I want to say 1%, but I mean one person, right? Uh, and and that's kind of where I think all the fantasies stem from. Um, like you said, it is, to me, I think you're right in describing it uh, a rape fantasy, but that's because it's about power. So it is a power fantasy. 
Yeah. Yeah, and when you word it as a power fantasy, the first thing that comes to mind is that the fear around werewolves is not necessarily meeting a werewolf, it's being a werewolf. But the fear around vampires is very distinctly about meeting one. Because everybody kind of wants to be one. Like, if you had to choose between being one and meeting one, you'd always be one. Right, right. Sure. Um. And it kind of it's, it's it's also interesting that it becomes a kind of analogy for, uh, for capitalism because nobody everybody hates being under the heel of um, a vampiric capitalist system until and unless they can become the vampire. Yeah. In which case, this is all great. Let's do it up. This sounds fantastic. I can live forever off of the blood of other people. What could go wrong? Um, and I think that it's mm-hmm. it's kind of, and I think that's also kind of what makes modern day vamp, uh, th- this kind of modern day sexualization of vampires so um, interesting slash icky for me is that we've also kind of lost the ability to have conversations, or not necessarily the lost, but we're not having those kinds of conversations. That ultimately, the people who find themselves in these positions um, have this. Uh, terrifying ability to amass wealth over generations um off of the lives the actual lifeblood hmm. of other people who don't know any better do not have the tools to defend themselves um and yeah have the ability to create these vast civilizations like that that just revolve around their everlasting egos yeah so can you can either of you go a little bit more into the direct tie between capitalism and like, where do you, where do you see that? I think in a simple, in a, in the, in its simplest version, as Brendan particularly just mentioned things like generational wealth, right? Um, the wealth of those who are wealthy today, more often than not, it is built on the backs of people who were indentured and enslaved. Yeah. Uh, or indentured or enslaved. And uh-huh. even if the people who are currently alive today were not those who engaged with that or, or actually enslaved others, um, they do ultimately benefit from the actions of their forefathers. So a singular immortal vampire certainly represents i think such a bloodline or such a family that extends to the days of you know doing whatever the hell and acquiring that wealth and the ghouls and the sheep and those enthralled are ultimately their sheep or the people upon whose backs that success was built and that kind of represents like the peons like us right and it's not necessarily i think I don't think it necessarily is uh, in terms of like the the analogy for capitalism. I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessarily a matter of people of color versus white people directly or anything, even though mm-hmm. my example might suggest that because I do mention people who were enslaved and or indentured. But I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that for the most part, even we mentioned Amazon a while ago, right? How <laughs> we don't, um, I think just right. before we started recording, the people who are making all of the money are doing it mm-hmm. with labor that 
the the folks actually doing the labor it's bad for them it's unhealthy for them you know they don't they they don't have proper rest they don't even get properly paid for the you know the the kind of work that they that they're doing the the amount of time they're standing on their feet the it's bordering or actually inhumane right um and that's that's not dissimilar across so many other you know i think uh, industries today yeah. yeah and it's almost like a one-to-one analogy like yeah um mm. as, as we kind of move into the technology age and we got like into this um harsh like quote-unquote like hustle culture it basically turned into uh the capitalist vampire would suck of like suck like the lifeblood out of you for as long as you could possibly sustain it and you would either die yeah you would either like faint on an amazon warehouse floor right or you would become a vampire yourself you would become one of those same people who kind of preach this narrative that the right the only way to survive in this space yeah um and it's interesting that aka you get promoted yeah and in early marxist writing he actually describes the bourgeoisie as vampires and leeches like that language is not particularly unusual yeah to like the imagination of capitalism it's interesting that up until and even in to some degree um stuff like uh buffy the vampire slayer even twilight um the vampires and especially vampires at like the top of the quote-unquote food chain um are um old money aristocrats who've managed to live forever (laughs) well right yeah i mean even even when you think uh like at least for me like when i think of lady vampires like the examples that i gave in particular um carmilla and they're high society ladies yeah right yeah so yeah what else is interesting too in 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 a tangential way is i'm very interested in the like energy vampire and the prevalence of that in like the way that it's totally in the lexicon just this idea of feeding off of someone um and ways that that it's interesting the way that it continues to worm its way into how we think about things and people i'm never really sure how to like uh like put energy vampires like how to like where the like where to place them in my mind, I guess. I do think that there's something really interesting about the idea of um, of a creature, of an entity that, uh, for all intents and purposes, does all the same work as a vampire, quote-unquote, um, without having to physically touch you. That's always been kind of it's, interesting. It's so... Oh, bleh. I have no idea if what I'm about to say is useful because, like, my brain is starting to like unbrain. But I'm and I'm also gonna mess this up. Like, if you if you read Jim Butcher's um, Dresden Files, and I screw this up, please forgive me. So, in the Dresden Files, he has his vampires are a red court and a white court, and the white court are energy vampires. They they don't drink blood but they certainly feed off of your emotions specifically. Um, and I want to say like um, love and lust are, are, are like their, their most tasty things and their, what you, what do you call, not love, not love, lust. They definitely have like, do like the sexual energy thing. I can't remember. It's been a fucking long time since I read any of the, those books, but 
one, um, I think that with the energy vampires, love is their, um, is their kryptonite. Like they can't touch somebody who loves them. Oh, it wow. Hurts. Okay. Yeah. Well, is that kind like a, like, I guess that's not totally the Twilight thing, but there is that tension too with them where he's like, I can't. Totally. No, but it was like, no, it was like you would die. Like if I. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like the way, you know, Dracula can't be in the face of the cross. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They can't like touch people that they love because it's physically painful to to them it's weird i i don't know if this was like just specific to the one vampire or it was a general white court thing i can't remember but i coming back to the the i mean so it's not i i say that really just to say that it is something that is considered vampiric for shores at least by this one guy who occasionally writes really problematic shit um but also I I feel like the energy vamp is perhaps a more apt description for capitalism for right. us today than the blood sucking vamp. Um, have either of you seen what we do in the shadow? I've seen yes, uh, I've seen a few I've, episodes. I've seen two of it, yeah, I've seen yeah. only like one or two. But also, I've seen the movie. Yeah, I love. I mean, I love the movie. I also love the show. Also. 100% he is not listening to this, but shout out to Patrick, who was in a writing group with me a million years ago and has written What We Do in the Shadows poems that are great. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but there's the, you know, the energy vampire in that who is in that very corporate or I guess like day job yes. setting. Yes, 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 you know, yes. And constantly feeding off of people. Um, but even before that, I mean, I feel like I've heard energy vampire a lot in um, – maybe not therapeutic settings, but like in that way that people kind of appropriate therapeutic. Therapeutic words. language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just think that this kind of like idea of feeding off of someone, the way that it persists so prevalently, whether it's like an actual blood sucker who's going to steal your young impressionable daughter or whether it's someone at work who just feeds off of your energy. I, I just find that interesting. The way that we have culturally um allowed this myth to persist and allowed it to transform itself yeah i'm gonna say though uh care while i understand the energy vampire equals capitalism thing i'm i'm really 100 like blood life force vampire equals capitalism well i think no go ahead oh well i sorry i just realized i hadn't let you finish because i'm <laughs> i don't know eager i don't know um, <laughs> i'm eager to talk about this no i don't know uh <laughs> i i feel like it's actually a more apt description for capitalism like for the average person because that's what capitalism really does it actually very literally sucks our energy it makes us it makes us more anxious it feeds off of our productivity we live in an age now where if you like we are now programmed to feel and to believe that if we're not being productive, then we're not doing anything worth doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is, yeah, this is not like a singular experience that I 
alone have or that even any of the three of us in this group have you know singularly this is this is like the millennials experience right, right, right. right is that we ultimately we all kind of have like you mentioned brendan this hustle culture if we aren't doing something that's earning if we aren't doing something that's helping us make a living then we're not doing anything worth doing and if that is not an energy vampire situation then what the fuck is right i mean that's fair but i do genuinely believe that uh that capitalism uh, maybe I've just maybe I just like either very jaded or very radical, but I think that I think that capitalism is really interested in like actual blood life. I think the systems that we create that we we have created as a vampiric culture um, to defend the vampires at the top um, are are interested in bloodletting. Yeah, mm. that they're interested in. Um, imaginations of our bodies not just as energy tools because because the the emotional and energetic state of our bodies is immaterial to them as much as our actual life is yeah we are intended to die for the system it doesn't matter whether or not you're feeling good or bad whether you're aroused on the amazon um cutting floor mm-hmm. um you will work you, you will work you'll work till you're dead yeah because that's what you're designed to do we're bred has anybody ever seen it's a horrible movie but i think of it but it, it lives rent free in a mansion at the back <laughs> of my um there's a movie called is it daybreakers with um with yes with ethan hawk no i haven't so, i have no idea what that is it's so bad i don't know how people make it but the the kind of crux of the movie is that um kind of like there's this uh plague that's um infected most of the world's population of immortal vampires right um uh and because of that so there's this growing but very ill vampire population next to a shortage of humans and therefore a shortage of blood so what people kind of come up with is so there are vampires that are basically like um breeding and harvesting humans in like these huge fucking chambers and then there are oh. humans who kind of live on the fringes and shit is this based on a book because i feel like i've read this book i don't know that it's based on a book i don't think so. i don't i don't think so it's just, there's probably a book that is very similar william defoe's in this right yes yeah it is it is so interestingly bad but i remember and i say interestingly bad because i remember seeing it when it came out i used to work as a a movie reviewer for a a youth magazine and literally the day it came out in 2009 i watched it when it um 2009 or 2010 when it finally made it international its international release i watched it on the day and i remember what was it called daybreakers daybreakers okay yeah and i remember thinking god damn this movie is shit but also why does this remind me of oil multinationals for some reason Mm. the whole idea of 
of this very deeply elaborate and like keep in mind like because the the majority of the world's population are vampires it is vampires that form the government it's vampires that create legislation around both vampire and human bodies yeah well Um, well i think that i mean i think there's a lot i think we could talk a lot i mean i think we could do multiple episodes on horror as a genre and how it explore society and i i I mean like obviously there's something within that with this film yeah yeah well i mean i think people i'm actually going to advise for people to see daybreakers at least to have a lot of fun but also also, no but i do think that watching especially like like you said watching horror with that kind of uh that kind of mind with the same question what is the fear here what is the purpose of this story what is it this what is this trying to reveal for and about us as much as it was keenly acknowledged that the characters that we were following through the story which is also really interesting is that the protagonist was himself a vampire mm-hmm. yeah um so the entire movie is uh, like us engaging with this vampire who is tasked with solving the problem of creating a sustainable blood life source for human for vampire kind um and I remember sitting down watching, like, and after a while, and I really di- dissected this whole idea about, well, is this movie really about oil? Because it came out in 2010. Um, the US was still um, in, uh, what was it called? Desert Storm? Uh, desert Storm 2? What? Desert Eagle? Whatever the hell they call it in the desert. Hmm. Um, so, like, I mean, we were, like, we were, the US was, um, and in, by extension, kind of the entire world was wrapped into the war on terror and the war in Iraq. Um, and I remember thinking, is this supposed to be about that? And as I'm kind of dissecting that story even more, I'm like, no, that's just, that movie is just about life. The movie is just oh, man. About, about all of the people with the power over the bodies of other people deciding what to do with them that's the whole movie i was gonna before you got there i was gonna be like maybe uh something about uh, an allegory for uh, meat production maybe but <laughs> no but where the meat but, oh, yes exactly <laughs> yeah like uh like legislation and i mean i'm again i'm either really crazy or really radical but legislation about um legislation about abortion is literally vampires and blood legislation about uh gay marriage is literally about vampires and blood legislation about um inner city uh, kids of color having access to education housing healthcare, employment all of it is vampires and blood the prison industrial complex the school to prison i guess i guess that doesn't that doesn't convince me that blood is the better one it just convinces me that vampires full stop (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. is the is the right comparison because there's so many layers of vampirism happening you know what we need to do you know what just crossed my mind take our world leaders i don't i don't think that as well no but... i mean i feel like that's maybe not actually going it's not helping me because my ass going to jail uh, <laughs> only if they catch me but as you said the point there's this larger, and this is good, that's not ridiculous. Eh? There's this larger kind of, uh, like people have weaponized 
the terms um, Black Lives Matter and Antifa to mean terrorists. I don't know how people could fathom the uh, an abbreviation of the words anti-fascist to be somehow evil, but that is beside the point. You know what we need to do to like turn the public perception around Antifa and BLM all around? We need to market them as vampire hunters. <laughs> So while <laughs> while I was reading about like I don't know that this is gonna work, but I have I have like a very important point to make about why this may fail is that at the same time that I was reading up on vampire subculture, like the like the people like what Chris was talking about, like those folks in was it was it New Orleans? Was it Yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans, right. So like folks like that. So while reading up on that subculture, there is another subculture of vampire hunters. Oh my god. That, well, of course there is. I mean, of course. That literally. Yeah, but the thing is, is that as far as I have read, the vampire hunters don't like go out and like beat up people who claim to be or like identify with the vamp subculture. They just like post nasty shit on the internet. <laughs> Oh yikes! Why are you like this? They just they just like go on like their websites and like troll and like post hate and like send them hate mail and they just that's what they do. The vampire hunters, but that's just what I've read so far. I I will say that I got to that point and I was like, oh my god, I've done enough research. Close Human beings even ruined vampire hunters for the revolution. <laughs> this is why we can't be a part of the Federation of Planets. We're too far gone. No, I mean it's hopeless. Um, we should talk about trolls for an episode. Uh, like like, like oh. internet trolls, I think we should or just bridge trolls I think because, trolls, and then we can see what variations they take. <laughs> we should we should get there one day oh but God. Wow. i was really excited about vampire hunters and then white people ruined it you don't know that it's white i mean okay never mind come on yeah. <laughs> i tried i i started i started the sentence and then i was like no care <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh but i but i do I think that that is the one interesting thing about vampire, like conversations about this, conversations about these, obviously, and we say it every single time, are the reasons why we're so invested in folklore in general. But it's the reason why I'm also like really upset about uh, uh, some kinds of directions that we've taken the vampire when mm-hmm. there's there's so much richness, even in shitty Australian American sci-fi horror movies. <laughs> like Daybreakers, mm-hmm. um, to tell some really rich and thoughtful stories about the world instead of just trying to sell um, just trying to sell pale people in leather pants for people to get hard and, um, and to like jerk off in their bedrooms too. Nobody needs that. Well, some people I mean, need that. I mean, I will always... <laughs> I... Um, I don't know about like I don't. I'm not sure about like the pasty pale kind of people, but I'm okay with leather pants, you guys. And <laughs> <laughs> like, and like, I'm I'm not like I'm I'm I f- I have feelings about like you no, know. No, no, I mean I know I have a pair, and you've seen them. Exactly. I'm I'm quite aware you're not anti leather pants. I'm but... just like leather pants and a, leather pants and a message, guys. Right. I mean, like I was gonna say, I I don't know about 
like the real leather pants. My my leather pants are not real leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> They're leathery pants. I don't know. But like let's 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 not let's not remove the leather pants from the message. That's all I ask. That's fair. That's fair. I can and I think that. too that there is, you know, it's like we were saying before, there is room for people to interpret and kind of continue to transcend each character, each genre within folklore, um, while there's also still a lot of room to harken back and continue to honor the origins of these stories. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> any final thoughts about vampires in general? We should just have an entire episode dedicated to lesbian lady vamps. I would love this. <laughs> I- <laughs> It may not be like two hours long like today, <laughs> but lot to explore. there's a you lot. Know, yeah, there's so much to explore. We can we could also just do like an episode on on allegories for lesbianism in fiction. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh my that would god, be super, that would be super cool. Actually. I think queer representation in folklore and, is definitely yeah. something worth exploring. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything <laughs> else that you'd like to add, Chris? um no i think i mean i think just thanks to our listeners always for following along with our our many tangents um and um you know i'd also be interested too to hear what folks are interested in us exploring yeah yes please always um you can message us on we're on twitter and instagram and facebook you can message us nice things on those platforms (laughs) yeah message us (laughs) Um, or or suggestions like your suggestions don't need to like like you don't need to be like overly polite and nice in your suggestions but just don't be rude because that's rude yeah no we don't need that yeah you can give us ideas for what you'd like to like us to talk about you can share information about with us about something that we've already spoken about you can send us a photo of your werewolf baby if you bought (laughs) why are you like this we didn't you know in terms of capitalism we did not talk about Damn. This is the one episode that we didn't find something. Yeah, what, what we didn't buy. find something for people to buy. I did talk about the teeth you can buy. Um, it's true. If that's the thing that you're interested in, you can buy glue-on teeth, and they're a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess my only lasting, my only uh, message before we end is. We really need to save like the image of vampire hunters for the revolution. Yeah. Oh. Um, to make sure that we can fight the capitalist vampire, put a stake straight through its heart. I, I'm willing to receive suggestions on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram about how we could bring the community of vampire hunters together as a people. Um, I am also interested in hearing like how you guys and gals and non-binary folk feel about these tangents that we take like are you listening because you really want to hear more about folklore that's not westernized or are you listening because we just talk a lot of trash that you really like (laughs) (laughs) that would be appreciated but until our next episode thanks so much for listening lessons compassion peace and love Bye. bye